Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring you an outline. Uh, I want to be sure that you're able to follow along and take some notes. Um, very important. And um, please, I, ho I hope that you'll use this as a tool as well to help someone else grow in their faith. And so I read verses 11 through 15 only because I wanted to kind of bring us into what we're going to be dealing with today. And we have a lot of ground to cover. And so these verses here, um, very important. And I, and I love the heading in my Bible and some of your Bibles may have it, but it is this, is Israel's rejection is not final. Israel's rejection is not final. And that's what Paul is close, his closing argument within the book of Romans 1 through 11. His closing argument is this, is that God is not finished with national Israel, with the nation of Israel. And we've already gone through the um, three of the proofs that Paul gave, which was that of himself, that of Elijah, and then that of the Gentiles. You for first service actually got up point three. Second service did not get point three, so you guys were able to hear that. But nonetheless, what the Apostle Paul says is something that I think is so, so very, very important. And it is in verse 15. I mean, all of this is very important. But he says clearly, well, verse 12, he says something. He says, now if their fall, speaking of Israel, if their fall, right, if their stumble, and you guys who got my notes, you looked at that, if their stumble, their, 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 their sin there is riches to the world, in their failure, riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, right? The pleroma, the, the fullness of Israel. When Israel comes into its fullness, if we have been blessed thus far, when they come into their fullness, it's going to be glorious, right? And Paul goes on to reiterate in verse 15, he says, For if their being cast away temporarily is the reconciling of the world, now salvation has been open to everyone, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead. Life from the dead, what is that? That's a resurrection, right? And so he's saying, if you, we will never know until, we will never know the fullness of the resurrection until the fullness of the Israelites, the fullness of Israel is experienced. The resurrection power of Jesus, we have yet to see the fullness of that until Israel is, is restored the way that God has promised. And so if you look at your outline here, three tragedies occurred in Israel, and this is what we've seen thus far from verse 1 to verse 15. The first one is that they fell, that is Romans 11, 11. The second one is that they were lost or diminished in Romans 11, 12. And the third is that they have been cast away in Romans 11, 15. Yet, none of these words suggest a final judgment of Israel. God is not done. I said it last week. God is not finished with Israel. Very important for us to, grab, to grasp that. The amazing thing is that through Israel's fall, salvation came to the Gentiles. God promised that the Gentiles would be saved, as he referred this in Romans 9, 25 to 26, and he kept his promise. And so we are in here, most of us, I don't, I don't know any of you that are Jewish by heritage or by birth, right? Most of us are Gentiles, and we are here rejoicing, right? We're here rejoicing, and we are able to say what? We're saved because of what? 
because of what Jesus did and God opening up the way of salvation. And so God was faithful to that promise. And so here is this. Will he not keep also keep his promise to the Jews? And that's Warren Wiersbe. He's a commentator, one of the ones that I read um, often when I'm studying. And so that's the thing. Will God not keep his promise? So I want you to think about this this morning. The assurance of Israel's future is meant to build our faith in, in the God who holds our future. I'll say that again. The assurance of Israel's future is meant to build our faith in the God who holds our future. Every week we say, engaging people where they are, building faith in Christ, right? Every, that, that, that's what this is about. Christianity is about having faith in Christ and what Christ has done and what Christ is doing, trusting in a God who holds all things in his hands. And our God holds everything in his hands. And so looking at the way, again, I said this last week, looking at the way that God has dealt with Israel helps us to do what? It helps us to understand who God is and how God will deal with us. That's the, that's the reason why you have to read the Old Testament. And now most of us, I don't know about you, I know me, most of us spend probably most of our time, unless you're in a Bible reading challenge or something like that, or you're going through a Bible reading plan, most of us spend our time in the New Testament, which is fine. But here's what I want you to understand. I, I, um, somebody asked me um, last Sunday after church, they said, hey, um, how, what would you suggest that I read in the, in the, in, in, in the New Testament or, or that I would read in the Bible as I'm starting to study the scriptures again? And so I told him, I said, listen, this is what I would do. I, I First of all, I got a little background as far as what their reading had been like in the past and up until this point as far as reading scripture. And I said, this is what I would do. I said, I would jump into the gospel of John. I always tell everybody to go there. And the reason why is because the gospel of John is for what? It is to build faith in Christ fully that Christ is the son of God. The gospel of John is about the divinity of Jesus, right? It's about the deity of Christ. And so it shows us God's divine attributes in Christ clearly. And so faith is built there. And then I told him, I said, and then I would just start in the book of Matthew and I would walk through. I said, but here's what I would do. I would go through the book of Matthew and I said, if you have a reference Bible, the first Bible that I had was a Thompson Chain reference Bible. It's probably one of the, to me, I think it's one of the best Bibles for a new believer. Here's why. It doesn't have a bunch of commentaries on it, but it has a lot of references in it. And so what you will do as a child of God is you will sit down and you will read your Bible and instead of looking at what men have to say about scriptures, you will look at what scripture has to say about scripture. The best interpretation of scripture, especially New Testament, is the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. I'll say it like this. If we do not have the Old Testament, we do not have a New Testament. And so I said, I said to him, I would sit down, get a good reference Bible, and I would read through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you know, Romans, and, you know, just walk through First and Second Corinthians, walk through all of the New Testament. I said, but I would read it slow, and I would look at every single reference that's there to every single time. And, you know, but for those of you that have a reference Bible, you're like, man, that's a lot. It's okay. Take your time. This, is not, you know, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. You want to know God, right? I like doing Bible reading plans, right? I like going through them. By the way, I caught up. I was like 10 days behind. Hello. Right? 
Hey, listen, you can do it. You know, I had a, had a long drive to Miami and back. I, trust me, I had plenty of time. I had hours, glory to God. But I was able to listen to the scriptures. And it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, I don't like doing it like that. But let me just say, I thought it was pretty cool because what I did was reading through it for that, for that amount of time, for those 10 days that I missed, I was able to, like, put the history of Israel together so clearly because all of these days together. Now, don't do that. Be like, well, Bishop, I'm just trying to put all the history together. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. I don't, I don't suggest that. But what, 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 I, I like reading through those plans. However, listen, it's not about reading through a plan. That's not it. It's about understanding this word, right, understanding it. So that's the reason why Romans is so very important because we see how God has dealt with Israel. We see how God has made certain promises, right? The book of Zechariah, I just finished my class on the minor prophets. And so when I was doing the class on the minor prophets, the one thing that um, our teacher was saying, our, our instructor, he was saying this. He said that the majority the, of the minor prophets, the most, the majority of the messianic prophecies are found in the book of Zechariah. So I would encourage you, go read the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. Just sit down, read, read Zechariah, and just see, okay, what are the prophecies that are there about Jesus and how many of them have been fulfilled. Just look at that. Just look at it and see. It'll be helpful for you to grow in your faith because that's what happens. When you start looking at Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled already in Christ, you know what that does? That boosts your faith. It builds your faith. It's like, man, these things happen. This God knew what he was talking about. This God is able to bring things to pass. That's what we know. And then we know, guess what? That's the God I trust. That's the God I serve. That's the God I believe in. And so it's meant to build our faith in Christ. So say this with me if you would. We're going to deal with the last two proofs today. Say the patriarchs are proof of God's future work. The patriarchs are proof of God's future work. And so what do we see here? So as has been the case from Romans 1 or all the way through all the way through Rome from 9 all the way to where we are now until this point the way God has dealt with Israel and the promises that God has made to Israel have been the premise the of the apostles faith for the salvation of Israel and his contention that God isn't finished with them. And so what has it been? Paul has said his heart breaks for his people. He is praying for the salvation of his people. He could wish that he was a curse for them. And the reason why is because Paul understands firsthand all of the promises that have been made to Israel. He understands firsthand not only those promises, but he also understands the God who made the promises. He knows that God. And he trusts that this God is able to bring to pass everything that he said. And he is is going to do it all. And so Paul has been burdened by this. And so here what we see is we see a couple of examples in verse 16. So if you look at verse 16 here, you're not going to see the names. And when I say the patriarchs, the patriarchs, and I know that most of you know this, I'm just saying this for someone who may not be exactly clear, but when we're talking about the patriarchs, we're talking about our forefathers, the forefathers of the faith. And, we're, and we are talking about specific forefathers, and that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. Whenever God is speaking to them, if you go and you look at, when you look throughout the history of Israel, you know what God always seems to point back to? He always seems to point back to Abraham. He always seems to go back to Abraham. I remember your father, Abraham. I remember your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we have this picture here. And so what do you say in verse 16? He says, for if the the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So what are the two examples? The first one is first fruit. The second one is the root. 
So what is the first fruit? You can just write this down if you're taking notes. Numbers 15, verses 18 to 21 is where you see. That's Numbers 15, verses 18 to 21. And so that is where you see God giving the stipulation for the first fruit offering. And what he told Israel was when they went into the land that they were supposed to offer a heave offering of the wheat. And that was to to do what? It was to sanctify the rest of their harvest. And so because they gave this first First fruit, what it was saying was, because you offer this first fruit to God, everything else that comes is blessed and it's holy. That's what he was saying. And so that's the reason why we have the principle of giving to God first. Why? Because we want everything else, right, to be, and you may argue with this, but this is just the reason why it makes sense, is because it's a principle. You think about God first in your giving. Most of us think about our mortgage payment. More, or some of us think about our light bill. Others think about our phone bill. I don't know what you think about. Whatever bill is in front of your face. But the first thing you should think about is to say, God, thank you for this paycheck that you've given me. And then I do, I give it to him, I give to him first. And that way I'm able to do what? I know the rest of it is blessed. Are you here? And so this is the example Paul gives. Now, Paul is giving this first fruit idea. He's saying this is the first fruit idea. And so because the first fruit is holy, so the lump is holy. Who is the lump? The lump is all of the nation of Israel. Who was the first fruit? The first fruit, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? We know this. And then we also know that Israel has to be this first fruit because what? Because Jeremiah 2 and verse 3 points to Israel as being the first fruit. Again, Jeremiah 2. In verse 3. So, because the first root is holy, the lump is holy. We're talking about the nation of Israel. The second thing he says if the root is holy, then what? The branches are holy. So, who is the root? Well, we know this Jeremiah 11 6 speaks about, uh, about Israel being the root. And who is the root? The root is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are the branches? All of Israel that would grow out of these patriarchs, right? So, that's what he's talking about here. And he says, and if some, verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off and you, remember there's this hardening, right, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. In other words, our blessing comes from where? It comes from the God of Israel. It comes through the nation of Israel, right? It's, it, it's, it, it's, it comes from Jesus who is the root, right? He is the root of our salvation. He's the root, the source of our lives. But however, when we come into Christ, we are engrafted, right? We're going to talk, we're going to see that in a moment. We are engrafted into what? Into this root, this, this root called Israel. We become part of, that's why they talk about the spiritual Israel. Because while we were not born Israelites, we are born again into the spiritual Israel. That's what the scripture teaches here. So Paul goes on to say, it says, so they became partaker, then, then became partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast, now check it out, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Did you hear that? So Paul transitions now, and he's like, now listen. You Gentiles, I, I, I've been rebuking my Jewish brethren in, in the congregation. I've been talking. It's kind of like when I preach a message on marriage. You know, it's, it's kind of like that, right? And, 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 and I come in here, and I'm like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the wives are like, come on. Amen, bishop. Come on, bishop. Amen, amen. And then I say, now, wives, 
submit. And all of a sudden, like, yes, amen, 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 right? And so all this time, Paul has been speaking to one group of people, and he has been rebuking their pride and rebuking their thoughts of how they were greater than because the nation of Israel had missed it. The book of Genesis tells us what? tells us that God said, I will bless you so that way you can be a blessing to all of the nations. And what Israel had forgot is that they had forgotten that the purpose for which God separated Abraham to himself was in order for the nation of Israel to be a blessing to all nations. Instead, they started to think we are better than all nations. We are, we, we, we are more deserving of things than all nations. The other nations, those Gentiles, those heathens, those dogs. They're not worthy. They forgot about the blessing they were supposed to be. And so Paul has been rebuking them, but now Paul transitions and he says, clearly, I'm speaking to you Gentiles now. I want to let you know, don't start boasting against those branches. Don't start looking at Israel like, ah, you know, God forgot about them. God doesn't care about them. God has abandoned them. No, no, no. He's saying, don't, don't do that. Don't boast against the branches. So he goes into this transition and he goes on and he says, In verse 19, he says, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. This is true. There it is, grafted in. That I might be grafted in. They were broken off. This is true. And he says this, well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. What does he say? Do not be haughty, but fear. Don't get prideful. Don't think that there's something better in you. Don't think because I've rebuked them because of their pride and, I've, and, and, and you've seen how Israel has been and how they've walked around with their heads up, think, acting like they're all that, right? You know, you know you've met those type of people. I'm not saying Jewish people, just people in general. You know those folks, they think they're all that, right? They can't ever pick their nose down from the, from, from the clouds. You know, you know those folks. Hmm. So it's easy to look at them. And now think about this all this time. All this time, these people, these Gentiles have been walking around being like, God doesn't care about us. God's not thinking about us. They've made all these other idols, and all of a sudden, God extends his hand to them and says, no, no, I love you. I want to save you. I want to deliver you. You're my beloved. I'm calling you my own. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah, now we're your own. Now, what about y'all? Y'all, 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 y'all ain't better than me. And then all of a sudden, what happens is you start to feel prideful about your position. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't do that. So he gives them this rebuke. He gives them this thing. After explaining this supernatural ingrafting of the Gentiles, now the apostle Paul enters into this warning mode to the Gentiles. I love that. Because Paul doesn't leave you to be bound in your pride thinking that you're all that. He does what? He brings balance to the, to the message. He brings balance to the conversation. And so Paul reminds the Gentile hearers of what? That, that, that the reason, now listen to me, the reason for the temporary hardening or cutting off of Israel of the natural branches was what? Their unbelief. This is important because Paul's rebuke and Paul's challenge is that we don't become unbelievers like them. That you don't start to think more highly of yourself, and then you become unbelievers. Now, mind you, he's talking to the church. This is what he's communicating. This is why he says this here. They have been cut off because of what? Because of their unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. It's not because you're better. It is because you have exercised faith. It's because you are justified by faith, not by works, by faith. Right? That's what he's been talking about throughout this book. He goes on and says in verse 21. Now look, now here's where, here's where it gets really deep and really heavy. For if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, he may not spare you either. Come on now, that, that doesn't sound encouraging, does it? No, he's, rebu- he's rebuking them. He's saying, hey, check yourself. 
Therefore, check it out, consider the goodness and severity of God. I want you to notice that. Consider the goodness and severity of God. God is not only good, right? God is also having some severity in him. Are you here? He's not, he, he's not just a God of love. He is a jealous God. He is a God that will bring his wrath. He is a God that will bring judgment. That is what the apostle is communicating. I want you to notice, though, because some of you need to hear this. God is good. Hello. Some of y'all know the severity of God. You're like waiting for God to strike you with a bolt of lightning at any moment. Hello. Like, like you think God is going to. Listen, that, that's why Jesus died, to absorb this bolt of lightning for you and I. Right? That's a beautiful thing. There is severity to God. There is a judgment side of God. There is a holiness of God that hates sin. But he tells them, recognize the goodness and severity of God. He breaks it down. He says this. He says, who, on, on those who fell, on those who fell, Israel, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in goodness, again, it's like Paul is not giving them this free pass, just do whatever you want. He's saying, wait a second, you got to continue in this goodness. Why? Because if you're really his, you're going to continue in goodness. If you're not his, you're not going to continue in goodness. You're going to end up in unbelief at some point. And so Paul is there saying, look, look at the severity, the, those who fell. Why did they fall? For unbelief. Not because he was wanting them to fall, but because of their unbelief. And he says, otherwise you also, look at that, otherwise you also will be cut off if you don't continue in this goodness, if you don't continue in this faith. And they also, check it out, they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, speaking of Israel, speaking of all of Israel, right, the nation, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Now check it out. He says this, for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And so what has happened here? So Paul is like, look, this is what happened. First of all, it's something that is contrary to nature. Why? Because in those times, what they did was if they wanted to make an olive tree that was wild, make it bear fruit, what they did was they took a branch from a good, fruitful olive tree, and they put that branch, they grafted that branch into the wild olive tree, and then that branch basically tamed that olive tree and made that, that wild olive tree that was unfruitful able to bear fruit. God does the absolute opposite. God takes a wild olive tree, he takes branches from this olive tree, and he says, I'm going to show you how powerful I am. I'm going to go against the horticultural way of doing things. I don't need to, 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 do, to do anything except grab you and put you in by faith. You say yes to Jesus, boom, now I put you in. Now you're here. Now you are not going to contaminate this tree. You're going to do what? You are going to bear fruit. You're going to eat of the fatness of the goodness of this branch, which is Israel. Are you here? This is what God does. This is what God says he did for us. And he says, listen, it is only because of faith. If they don't continue in their unbelief, guess what they're going to do? They're going to be grafted right in. Because remember, the hardening of Israel is only temporary and it is only partial. There are still Jews being saved. 
I was just listening to, to a Messianic rabbi who was speaking on chapter 11 of the book of Romans. And he was, I mean, he was, he's talking about they are in Israel. They're doing conferences in order to build up the, the it's called Revive Israel. And, and they're talking about the revival that they're praying for that would happen in Israel. That we have a role as Gentiles to work together with our Israelite brothers and sisters in Christ to do what? To bring the gospel to the nations. We're called to that. And so if they don't continue in unbelief, if they put their faith in Christ, just like Paul did, then they're going to be grafted back in. And so to wrap this up, it's the encouragement, the encouragement and the warning that Paul gives here. Here's the, here it is. The, the warning is this. Unbelief separates us from God. Y'all know that, right? You, you know that unbelief leads to sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates. When you don't believe God, you don't approach God. When you don't believe what God says, you don't pursue him. When you don't believe who God is, you don't serve him. But when you believe what God says, you obey him, you fear him, you pursue him, you walk with him because you believe it. If you don't believe it, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what your mother says. Listen, for those of you that grew up in Christian homes, you grew up in Christian homes and some of you, you rebelled. Why? Because you didn't believe it. The problem with our kids, second generation, third generation, it is this. It is not that you have not been a good example. Sometimes that's the case. It's not that. It's that until they believe, they're not going to follow. Until they believe, they are not going to obey Christ. And so belief is the issue here. If you don't believe, unbelief separates you from God. Belief or faith in God restores a relationship and brings us closer. So what is the point? We must ensure we are growing in our faith in Christ. And we must guard against the pride of position that leads to division and destruction, not unity and edification. See, we have to be sure that we're not being prideful because we've been called in. Listen, we should have, a, I've asked you this every week when we've read through the scriptures where Paul says he is broken over Israel and he is burdened and he is praying. I've asked you every week, are you broken over sinners? Are you broken over lost people? I asked you last week, do you care that God is not done with Israel? Does that even matter to you? It should. Because if it wasn't for them, listen, Jesus was Jewish, y'all. Jesus came through the Jewish bloodline. That's where he came from. And so we should be grateful and we should care about their salvation. At minimum, we should be praying for their salvation. Especially if we know anyone who is Jewish, we should be praying for them to come to faith in Christ. And so we must guard against that because you know what? When we are prideful about our position, and this is applicable not only Jew and Gentile, this is applicable in all of life. Sometimes we get prideful about our position. Sometimes we get prideful. It could be in a marriage. It could be in a workplace. It could be in church. We get prideful about our position. And when we're prideful about our position, you know what happens? It leads to division. It leads to destruction. It doesn't lead to unity. It doesn't lead to edification. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God himself, God himself is, proof is proof of his future work. God himself is proof of his future work. The final proof is the foundation for all of this. We could have just went here. Paul chose to save the best for last. 
And he, and, and he talks about God being the proof of this future work. God himself is the one who has brought every plan that he has to pass perfectly. That's the point. He hasn't failed, and he will not fail. And so what does Paul say? First thing in verse 25 is, is God's timing. If you're taking notes, this is going to be dealing with God's timing. He says, for I do not desire, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Say mystery. That you would not be ignorant of this mystery. Mystery is utilized about something that was hidden in the past that is revealed and known now. Before, Israel didn't completely understand how it was. It's like when God called Abraham. He tells Abraham to leave your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. That's great direction. Think about that for a moment. Leave your house and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Don't, I'm not giving you directions. Just I'm going to show you this. Just, but leave where you are. Hello. Right? So do you think that Abraham understood everything? No, he just understood who called him. And then God says what? He says, through you all the nation of the world will be blessed, right? Do you think Abraham fully understood that? No, the reason why they became prideful is because God prospered them in a tangible way. And so they understood the blessing of God that was upon them. And guess what? That's what they thought it was. That, well, you know what? You all got to come to us. That wasn't what it was. It was pointing to the Messiah. That was a mystery that was hidden then but is revealed now. And so God shows us this. I don't want you to be ignorant of the mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until, say until. Until the fullness, play Roma, there's that word again. The fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So what does this mean, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in? This is the best definition I could give you. It is this. It is when every Gentile that will be saved is saved. When every Gentile that will be saved is saved. That's the, that's the time of the Gentiles. It's a time when, you know what, God is going to bring judgment. Right now is that time of the Gentiles. When you look at the book of Revelation, and we may be preaching through this next year, but when you look at the book of Revelation, you know what you find? You find a lot, a lot of Israel. You know why? Because God is not done with the nation of Israel. It is the time of the Gentiles right now. And so we need to be praying. We need to be evangelized. We need to be witnessing. Why? God's timing. The hardening and blindness of Israel are partial and temporary, and they're waiting for what? The fullness of the Gentiles. Here's what you have to understand. God doesn't just know the time. He holds it in his hand. He holds it in his hands. The second thing that, that, that we see in God is God's promise. Verse 26, it says this. It says, so, and so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, right? And what is he quoting? He's quoting, he's quoting Isaiah 59, 20 to verse 21. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is eschatological. Say it with me, eschatological. eschatological. There you go. So when someone asks you, what did you learn in church today? Well, I was learning about eschatological. You know, you're going to go along. <laughs> That's what you just start speaking in tongues. Like, Give me the interpretation. End times. That's it right there. So that's, that, that's what that is, right? I was learning about eschatology, right? And so I was learning about the end times. That's what that is. This prophecy is, is, is eschatological. It is looking forward to a day in which all of Israel will be saved. This doesn't mean that every single Israelite is going to be saved. It means that at the coming of Messiah, all Israel that is there will be saved. That's what it means. That's what the text means. All Israel will be saved. And so this is what he's talking. He says this. This is the promise that he gives in Isaiah. The deliverer, speaking of Jesus, will come out of Zion, speaking of Jerusalem, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so we have what? God's promises to save Israel in the end are vast and sure. 
Hear me when I say that. God's promises to save Israel in the end are vast and they are sure. And so we know God has done everything he said he's going to do up until now. So he is going to do those things as well. And so God's timing is the first one. God's promise is the second one. The third one is God's covenant. This here uh, is quoting De- uh, Deuteronomy, uh, or you can look at this under God's covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 11, and Deuteronomy 9, 1 through 6. It's not quoting this here, but those there talk about God's covenant with his people and God's covenant of election, God's purpose with his people Israel. He goes on to say this. He's continuing here in this quote of Isaiah. For this is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. God's covenant. I want you to think about this. God's covenant election means grace, not merit. Nothing can fully separate Israel from God's love. I'll say that again. God Covenant election means grace, not merit. Nothing can fully separate Israel from God's love. Why does this matter? Because it's the same thing with us. God made a covenant with us in the blood of his son. And so we have the promises of God. We are secured in the love of God. We are secured by the work of Christ. We are secured in who he is, not by our works, not by our perfection. That doesn't mean live a licentious life and live how you want to live. That means live for the glory of God. Trust God's ability to keep you. The same thing goes with Israel. So they are enemies for our sake. For our sake, they're enemies. God has done that, that partial hardening again. He's going to turn the sin away from them. He's going to turn them away. He is going to forgive their sins. But for the gospel's sake, they're enemies. But then he goes on and said, but for the election, they are beloved for the fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you go and you read those scriptures there, you're going, to, you're going to see in Deuteronomy, you're going to see over there that what God reminds them of is what? Is that, listen, you're my beloved, not because of you, not because you were great, but because of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why I love you. That's why you're loved. The third thing is, the third one is the covenant. The fourth one is what? It is God's nature. Verse 29, he says this, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For the gifts and calling, what are the gifts? Oh, so you go, to, you go to Romans chapter 9, and you can see there all of the gifts that God had given to Israel, the covenants, all of the promises, everything that God had given them, all of those things, the calling that God had made, the, the extension of his grace, the opening up his arms to a people that are rebellious and disobedient. All of that is extended through God's grace, through God's mercy unto them. And, 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 and why, why is this? Why is God's promise irrevocable? It can't be rejected. God doesn't take it back. God doesn't say, you know what, I love you now. No, I don't love you anymore. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Nope, you can't come to me anymore. That, that, that isn't the way that God operates. That isn't the way that God is, and we should be grateful for that. We see this throughout God's dealings with Israel. Even when they're in rebellion, he still preserves a remnant. Even now, there is a remnant that has been preserved by his grace, by his purposes. But in the future... God is going to do something else. And the reason why we know this is because God is immutable. Say immutable. immutable. It means he doesn't change. You can write these two verses down. Numbers chapter 23, verse 9. It tells us that God does not lie. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, it says that God does not change. So Numbers 23, 19 and Malachi 3, 6. The next one, the fourth one here is God's grace. And he says this here. And this, we're getting ready to wrap up right now. He says this. He says, for as you were once disobedient to God, 
yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. What is he saying? He's reminding them. Listen, the same way that you have received mercy, not because of anything good, not because of anything that you've done to earn it, but the same way you've received mercy is the same way that they will receive mercy. And this verse 32 is the one that's the clencher for me. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, for God has committed them all to disobedience. Them all, meaning Gentile and Jew alike. He's committed them all to disobedience. For what? That he might have mercy on some. That's not what he said. He's committed them all to disobedience. It doesn't mean that he made them sin. It means that his law points to them. You're a sinner. Everything that he set up until this point, I've given you your own. You can do it on your own. And you know what you've done? You failed. You've fallen. You've tripped. You've done your own thing. You've rebelled against me. You built idols. You are committed to your sin. And God has committed all to sin, Jew and Gentile alike. For what? So he can show mercy to all. God's timing, God's promises, God's covenant, God's nature, God's grace. And God's wisdom all point us to God's faithfulness to Israel and by extension, his faithfulness to us. See, this is encouraging for us. So here's my closing question for you. Does God's faithfulness to Israel encourage you for the future? See, here's what I want to say. Because the Apostle Paul, he wraps this up. And he, and he, he turns into this, what is called the, this doxology that Paul ends his whole thing. This is the end of the indicatives of what God has done. And as he wraps it up, it brings him into this place. What he just said in Romans 11, what he just said in Romans 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, right? What he said through all of that brings him to this point where he says this. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. See, here's what I would say to you. If your theology doesn't lead you to doxology, then you're studying the Bible either the wrong way, or you're just missing the, the, the right heart. It's one of the two. You are either studying scripture the wrong way, theology, the study of God, doxology, the worship of God. What should occur is that you go from this place of studying who God is and understanding who God is. And when you get to that place that you are so overwhelmed as Paul was, he was saying, God, I don't even fully understand what I've just said. I don't fully understand what I've just penned. This is a great mystery that is still being revealed. And what it should do is it should make you feel superior to anyone, it should make you understand the greatness of God and how small you really are. It should lead you to understanding that everything is for him, that everything is from him, that everything is to him. It is all about him and his glory. And so I ask the worship team to help me sing this song as we end our time to just really engage with the Lord and just worship his name just for a few moments. And so I'll ask you to just bow your heads where you are. If you want to stand and worship, listen, respond to God Almighty.
respond to the King of glory. And before we worship, I just want to pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the vastness of your wisdom, for the greatness of your grace and glory, God. Thank you for being merciful to us.